I think one of us should say Rad Strangest, then another should say International. You know what I'm saying? Well, come two, okay. Rad, <laughs> like, what do you... <laughs> no, one of us would say... Welcome to Camp Rad Strangeness International. Howdy, campers, and welcome back. God, I can't start laughing. <laughs> Man, you startled me. You just said, like, you just said, campers, right? And I was, my brain's like, wait, what are we talking about? Campers? And then I just said, howdy, campers. We yeah, were just talking about you? hammocks. So I was like, is he still on that? Well, I'm ready for business, dude. Okay, you know, get in. I don't know how many times we have to talk about how much more professional I am than you. I mean, it's just incredible. The, the scale would be like if I'm, let's just say I'm not even that extraordinary. I'm just like maybe like a seven. You're like a negative. 10. Yeah, well, the, here here's the funny part, Woody. When you were gone on vacation, I took a poll on our Instagram, and it came <laughs> yeah. back that I was the most professional host. So, mm-hmm. well, and then it's in the numbers. You didn't know. It's in the numbers. But what you didn't know was a metric that I cared about way more than that. And I took my own poll, <laughs> and it was, hey, campers who's your favorite host of all time and they said woody so you know it's dumb i mean it's interesting but who cares about polling howdy campers and welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast that would be rad a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia comic culture all things paranormal and minors in retro video games tabletop rpgs pre-internet mysteries and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s we are your camp counselors, Woody Brown. And Tyler Benz. What's up, man? Hey, pal. Hey, honestly, before we jump into today's episode, I got to address something. And, and this isn't me. I'm not, this isn't, this is a making bit. up something about whether or not, this is not a bit. I'm not trying to just prove that I'm the favorite host and, and you're kind of like, oh. well, we could do without him kind of guy. Mm-hmm. You know, people aren't excited just because I'm, they can see that I'm charitable by allowing you to, to join, but. This is not what that is about. This is 100% dead serious. We get a lot of questions uh, via email and sometimes on our Instagram about our outro song. Most mm. of the time the question is something like, hey, man, I really love that song. I've tried to look for it. Um, I wrote it. Like who, <laughs> who we wrote it. And performed all the Who's it by? Yeah, I don't think I played guitar in that song, actually. Oh, actually, actually, you're right. You did not play it. Yeah, because there's really just like the one. Mm-hmm. You're you're getting me distracted, man. Sorry. Okay. Uh, anyhow, the quick version of the story is it's actually a song by us, performed by our band, The Modern Society. Mm-hmm. You can't find it on Spotify right now, um, but if you're a patron, and depending on what tier you choose, you yeah. can have access to all the music that Tyler and I have recorded together so mm-hmm. just another reason for you to go visit our patreon at patreon.com slash that would be rad to check it out join up and uh yeah you can get access to the song that song specifically but also other songs uh as well nice what are we talking about today tyler 
So today's topic, well, to be honest with everyone, I pivoted sometime earlier this morning, mm. and uh, I just didn't feel like this particular topic was not unworthy of, but it just didn't feel quite like a Camp Rad Strangeness sort of mm -hmm. topic. Like, we're definitely going to get back to it. I'm not going to give it away now, but it's it kind of falls more into like folklore. It's probably going to be like an October spooktacular. Yeah, it's kind of spooky, but more sort of folklore, less like real world cryptid. So I decided to pivot and this topic is a good one. It's a little bit riddled with, you know, there's a lot of believers that believe it on one side and an equal number that don't believe it on the other side. I am definitely a believer just because it's so fun and it sounds awesome. I, you know, as far as like the legitimacy, I'm not totally sure because once you start looking into it, mm -hmm. you know, there's some characters in there that, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of like, oh, well, I got this from this source. Yeah. You know, that kind of but, thing, which to be I honest. I mean, I guess the same can be true for a lot of the things yeah, that we true. talk about, right? We're right. not here to prove anything right or wrong. We're mm -hmm. just here to deliver these really cool stories that we uh, that we come across. Absolutely. And this is one that I've loved for such a long time. And uh, I actually, I had sort of planned on doing like a big episode with this topic you know, sometime down the line, but I think it's, I think we're ready. I think it's here. Yeah. Now's the time. Well, I'm excited, man, because I, this is one of those situations and I love to do it this way mm -hmm. where I remember you mentioning this, you've given me sort of like the very, very brief gist of, of what this story entails and about this thing, but I don't know anything about it. Like I, on purpose, don't look stuff up mm -hmm. so that I can kind of just like the audience is going to do either hear about it for the first time mm -hmm. or just kind of get some of those details that I didn't know about. So I'm, I'm super stoked, man. Yeah, dude. And this one also, it kind of falls into that, like, you know, I mean, it is technically, it is early 2000s, but it still mm. kind of falls into that, like, like coast to coast AM with our mm. bell. It feels like that 90s kind of early internet sort of thing. So it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's right up our alley. So here goes. In 2005, a man named Stephen Quayle would call in to the revered paranormal radio show Coast to Coast AM to talk about a U.S. Army squad that went missing in 2002. He claimed that the occurrence was still classified and that the Army refused to talk about it. According to Quayle's story, a group of soldiers went missing while in patrol in the remote mountain region of Kandahar in the south of Afghanistan. And when they failed to make radio contact for some time, the military sent in a special ops unit to investigate. Though the branch of armed forces they belonged to was never confirmed. We will, however, find out why later. Hmm. Then, high up in the mountains, the unit came across a cave with scattered army equipment around, but no sign of the missing soldiers. And that's when they chanced upon the Kandahar Giant. With some reports suggesting that the humanoid grew as tall as 15 feet, this red-headed giant with six digits 
per hand, leather moccasins, and smelling like dead bodies suddenly emerged from the cave and impaled one of the soldiers with what was said to be a 15-foot spear. And that's when the soldiers opened fire, ultimately felling the giant with 30 seconds of continuous fire. Between them, the squad was armed with full auto, fully auto M4 carbines, recon carbines, semi-automatic, and M107 Barrett anti-material rifles firing 50, uh, 50 BMG? They're fine firing CDs from a <clears throat> subs music subscription service? <laughs> this much firepower concentrated on one target for one ah. second, let alone 30, would be extremely destructive. After Real quick. Okay. 50 BMG is a 50 caliber Browning machine gun. So it, it oh, stands for, uh, it is I guess, cal. the... Uh, the um, the brand. Now, real quick, man, before you go any further, because okay. I just want to make sure I'm setting the scene in my mind mentally here. Let's just call it. I'm not feeling it either. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. So you've got this group of soldiers. Mm -hmm. They are, they're just on patrol in a sort of a mountainous region. Mm -hmm. uh, in of, Afghanistan. Uh, in Afghanistan. Yep. Uh, which, dude, speaking of synchronicity, this is wild. It's so funny that you decided to do this today because last night... Ann and I watched the new Guy Ritchie movie uh, called The Covenant with Jake Gyllenhaal, and it's set in this region, so oh, it's, it's interesting. Cool. Oh, how well, is that movie, actually? Well, we'll talk about it okay. later when we're done with the, the show. Okay. Um, but just remind me. So anyhow. I've heard it's good. They are patrolling in this freaking, how, like, how tall was it again? Well, it, it kind of differs. So some. Well, okay, hold on. Don't forget, ignore that question. But okay. you said it's got six digits per hand. Yes. So covered in red, red hair, like the whole body, or is it just like a like white, you know, Caucasian looking uh, with? Oh, really? With red hair? Yeah. Like Conan O'Brien or Napoleon Dynamite just yeah. walks out of this cave. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> and we'll get into some more coming up that actually sheds a whole lot of that. Uh, on wow. our story. Okay, mm -hmm. keep going. But yeah, so some would say 13 feet to 15 feet. That's like sort of the rough, the rough kind of idea. After the troops killed the giant, they loaded it into a Chinook helicopter, which carried it to a transport plane where no one would ever see it again. The soldiers were forced to sign, I don't think the technical term in the military is a non-disclosure agreement, but basically that, you know, so the, yeah. so the government could basically keep the whole thing quiet. Eventually, the soldiers would break their silence because as one of the men would later say, the people have a right to know the truth. So, you know, that's back in 2005, and th that's around the time when I had first heard about this, and it was so fascinating. But then it just kind of, just sort of disappeared into uh, obscurity, sort of internet lore, urban legend kind of territory. Until August 2016, a YouTuber posted a lengthy interview with a military contractor who identified himself only as Mr. K. In this interview, Mr. K claimed to have been present during the brutal slaughter of a killer he called the Kandahar Giant. Hmm. The killing of the giant, he said, took place during the height of Operation Enduring Freedom in 2002, 
when the military was engaged in fierce battles with the Taliban in their de facto capital in Kandahar province during the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. But this was no human fighter. The Kandahar giant, Mr. K said, was 13 feet tall with fiery red hair, six fingers, and get this, two sets of teeth. It even killed one of the special forces soldiers with a spear before the rest of the unit brought it down within 30 seconds of sustained gunfire. After that, they radioed it in, the army took away its corpse and has hidden it ever since. Man. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty, pretty fascinating. So, and just like you said, what's interesting is like that early 2000s, late 90s. I mean, this is when I was just, it's just an, it's just like an interesting time period because I was about to graduate from college. I went to a military school. So all my buddies and stuff were actually getting, you know, they were graduating and they were graduating as officers and getting shipped out to Afghanistan. And so they would have been in this area potentially, you know, dealing with this kind of stuff at that time, which is just wild. Yeah. And I think this would have also been the time that my uncle Stuart would have probably still been over there too. He's done a ton of tours over there, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, like around that era. But then he kind of was called back pretty consistently for, you know, throughout like the early 2000s. So I actually hit him up this morning and asked him and I got no response, which <laughs> means that he was probably in that uh, battalion. Yeah. Um, anyway, so after this, YouTube interview by this Mr. K guy. The Sounds reputable. Yeah, I mean, it could go both ways. <laughs> Mr. K. Yeah. Uh, Snopes, which I ugh, I kind of view as, what's the word I'm looking for? Disdain. Or Disdain, that's a great word. They actually reached out to the Department of Defense about the Kandahar Giant incident. The Department of Defense would tell the outlet, in no certain terms that they had no record or information about a special forces member killed by a giant in Kandahar. What's more, there are no press releases on the Department of Defense's website involving either a special forces troop disappearing in Afghanistan or any incident involving soldiers felling a giant. To me, that doesn't really say anything. I mean, yeah. there's a whole lot that... Well, I mean, look, if there is anything that any government, but right. specifically ours, is trying to ever hide, you think they're just going to be like, okay, you got us. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. There is, there is a giant. Yeah, exactly. You know, no. Yeah. I mean, there's so much stuff that... Uh, I mean, hell, now... I mean, the U.S. military is now sort of just coming out about all the UFO stuff. And we, we've obtained, you know, alien aircraft years ago. And it's like, yeah, no shit. So, yeah. you know, it, I just, I don't have a whole lot of uh, faith in that kind of stuff. Of course, as with any good conspiracy, this lack of evidence isn't sufficient proof that the myth of the Kandahar giant doesn't exist. In fact, Snopes debunking of the legend actually sort of did the opposite, which sort of, like we were saying, sort of cemented the 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 claim that, oh, well, the government's always, you know, hiding the truth, which, you know, I think they are. Around the same time that the Snopes article came out to discredit the story, author L.A. Marzulli, that's the name I was trying to think of before, he's an awesome uh, writer, you know, if you're in the supernatural sort of world, he's like 
really, really intelligent guy. His big thing is like the Nephilim, which I'm going to get into here in a little bit. But he's really a really fascinating guy because he, I don't know if he was like the first, but he was one of the the first sort of guys to sort of like connect this ancient view of giants with possibly Bigfoot and more sort of modern takes, you know, of the yeah. term giants, or whatever. Ellie Marzulli would tell several websites that the United States government was covering up the spectacular story and that those in power had a vested interest in keeping the truth of biblical prophecy from being exposed to the general public, which actually, I mean, I'm kind of with him on that. People have the right to know about this stuff. If there are 15 or 18 foot giants roaming the earth and our military has brought them down, we have a right as American citizens to know about it, he said. I mean, this isn't classified military stuff. This is something we need to know, and it always points back to biblical prophetic narrative. Now, you guys may not necessarily be, or, you know, believe in the Bible, or maybe you, you do, but you view it as more of like a metaphorical type thing. Um, and so, L.A. Marzulli, is, he, he's very much like into everything being like, you know, by the book you know, non-metaphorical, totally sort of real. And I mean, I'm kind of with him on a lot of that. Um, the cool thing about this is that, you know, the story of the Kandahar giant is actually, you know, as fascinating as it is and, it, and as sensational as it is. Mm-hmm. L.A. Marzulli, whose YouTube channel, God almighty. YouTube <laughs> channel. So yeah, so as sensational as the story is, you know, it's even more fascinating if you actually do sort of start looking at it when it, you know, when it ties into possible biblical events. Yeah. In a now deleted video posted on August 16th, 2016, L.A. Marzulli interviewed Mr. K, who we were talking about. He would, you know, say that he was a soldier, he was a contractor, which I think that one little element is interesting because... One of the the things that I remember back in the day was, oh, well, you know, this story could never say, you know, the, the, like the recovery unit, like the team who came out to look at, to see if they could find the other unit. They, they could, nobody ever came out and said like what branch of the military they were. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so that was like one of the, one of the things that, was kind of used by like the critics to say, oh, well, it's debunked because, you know, it wasn't, you know, they never, it never talked about like the actual unit. Well, the interesting thing is that he was like a special ops, like an operator. So he was kind of a contractor by the military, but wasn't actually, which a lot of that, yeah, a lot of that stuff happens. And Mm -hmm. I know this, you know, on a personal level, um, and I think that's a way that a lot of stuff is is sort of it, it's able to happen to like done, yeah. off the books. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But Mr. K would claim that he saw the giant carrying a spear and murdering a United States soldier named Dan before he and the other special forces took it down. According to Marzuli, the creature was a Nephilim. I don't know if you guys know this, but the Nephilim. It's spoken about in the Bible, spoken about in the books of Enoch, the Dead Sea Scrolls, 
it's a group of people mentioned in Genesis and Numbers books of the Old, Old Testament, as far as the Bible is concerned, who are said to be people of unusually large size and strength that could be found in the Middle East both before and after the flood of Noah's Ark fame. Biblical scholars largely agree that the Nephilim tales were metaphors and not based on the reality of a 13-foot giant living in the desert. What's hmm. more, and this is where the debunkers come in, the only Dan that died in Kandahar around the time of this alleged incident in 2002 was Sergeant First Class Daniel A. Romero, who was killed in a bomb blast alongside three other soldiers. Now, to me, that does that still doesn't really... Yeah, you know, doing also like public record about who died where. Yeah, I mean, especially if you're in a special forces unit or like a SEAL team, right. that stuff isn't necessarily going to be in public reach. Yeah, exactly. Also, after these messages, we'll be right back. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. something out there waiting for us. And it ain't no dead. Hey, this is Bryce Johnson from the Bigfoot Collectors Club, and you're listening to Tyler and Woody on That Would Be Rad, because that is rad. What kind of metaphor are you trying to teach people when you talk about giants? Well, so... Other than David and Goliath, maybe, you know, you can tackle the giant and, you know, maybe that's a metaphor for... Well, no, 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 no. You know what I'm saying? Like, what is that person trying to say? That, well, so what they're saying is they're saying that, like, a, a lot of, like, biblical scholars will argue over units of measurement, you know? So, you know, they'll say, oh, well... You know, Goliath wasn't actually this tall. He was actually, okay. you know, like six foot tall because of which all of that doesn't really line up, at least to me, like on a personal level, like 
if you believe that, that's all good. But I'm just saying personally, when you look at it and you look at like sort of a like a cross reference between, and I'm, I'm going to get more into this, especially like with the Nephilim and that whole kind of thing, it all kind of, it's, it's almost like you have, even though there's like these non-canonical books that are sort of considered inspired books of the Bible. So you have like the Apocrypha, you have the Dead Sea Scrolls, you have the first and second books, Book of Enoch. I think it's important to, whether you believe they're, you know, quote unquote, inspired or not, I think it's important to sort of look at certain topics across all of them, you know, because even if they're not technically like inspired and they shouldn't be canon to the Bible, I still think that they're, they still carry a lot of historical stuff that can, mm-hmm. that, that when cross-referenced can like bring even more believability and, yeah. and historical reference, you know, to yeah. other books. But anyway, even with the evidence stacked against it, the myth of the Kandahar giant is still said to be an open secret among soldiers who served in Kandahar in 2002. And several veterans who served in the region have said that from that point on, they were instructed to point their weapons high by aiming for the head and then point even a little higher. I think that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, that's kind of it as far as you know, what what we sort of know as far as like the story, it's really not like a long story. Uh, yeah, so it's really just that specific single sort of event that is the main sort of mystery here, right? Like mm-hmm. that kind of clued everybody into, man, maybe there's a race of giants still living in the Middle East. Yeah, exactly. And it is pretty cool that, you know, if we associate, like, any of the Bible, we immediately think, like, oh, it's all in that sort of setting. And so mm-hmm. it is pretty cool to have basically another Goliath coming out of a cave. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. What's interesting, man, about that region is, and I think this kind of just helps just sort of add to the mystique, kind of like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, these are areas, it's it's... We, you know, our young country just celebrated, you know, July 4th. And when you look at globally in comparison, like, man, our age as a country is pretty insignificant in comparison to like places that have had thousands of years of history, culture, and things like this, honestly, mm. you know? Yeah, exactly. So you like think about, I mean, that's the first thing that I thought of. I remember when you told me about this incident, right, is just thinking about it with that context and through that lens, these young soldiers basically seeing a modern-day Goliath. Yeah. And to think about, like, that being, if you you take any kind of sort of, um, you know, like magical sense out of it and it's just like a freaking humongous dude i mean we've got people like that all the time in you know hollywood and stuff i'm I'm, i don't know there's a bunch of like these big huge dudes so it's not too far-fetched to me i mean we've got people that play in the nba that are seven plus feet tall and you know i don't know if you tyler or Mm -hmm. any of you listeners have ever had a chance to kind of like meet an nba player in person but i think i've told my charles barkley story here so i'm not gonna repeat it it's so embarrassing. But what is it? Which one? Oh my god, dude. 
my buddy was getting married. Mm. He had some kind of like bachelor party in um, Buckhead. And uh, it's not really like my vibe, so mm-hmm. to speak. And mm-hmm. so I was just kind of like, yeah, man, happy for you. And then anyway, I, I go to the uh, the bar there to get a fresh glass of water. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, you got to hydrate. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of like come to the bar and this guy like turns around and no joke, this, you know, big dude, it's Charles Barkley. He hands me like a, a drink. I'm like, huh? Oh, thanks, man. And then there's this like 10 to 15 seconds of sort of awkward, why did he hand me this? And oh my God, that's Charles Barkley. And then a realization in his eyes that I'm not who he thought I was. Mm. And so he kind of just like takes the drink back, shakes my hand, and that was it. I'm like, okay. <laughs> hey, man, see you later, Charles. <laughs> and uh, I mean, that's pretty cool, though. His hand was humongous, dude. It's yeah. like, imagine if, you know, imagine like shaking my pinky, but that pinky being someone's hand. That's yeah. the difference there. But anyhow, so I mean, like those genetics, oh, yeah, of, you know, exist already. In a way, I but felt then like, also like I felt like that when I met uh, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it felt like you were shaking hands with like a like a bushel of bananas, banana hands. Yeah. yeah. So it's interesting to me, especially if we take like the more biblical sort of historical mm-hmm. look at this, right? So yeah. okay, maybe the units of measure through translation are a little bit different. Okay, sure, mm-hmm. but like. Why would they think he was big in any way if, you know, it's like, it's not like everybody back then was four feet tall. Right. Or something if you had a six foot tall. Yeah. You know, also, this is interesting. I looked this up. I don't know. Did you, are you going to get into some of the biblical sort of references? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay. Before I move on to that, though, I do want to want to get into, and they're kind of hard to find, but there's actually several other accounts like, you know, throughout the ages of like our military coming in contact with giants over there, which is pretty cool. They include the giant of Kunar, which was a massive being an infantry team leader reportedly saw during a deployment between 2008 and 2009. It says, while overlooking the village one fateful night, the soldier peered through his newly mounted thermal scope. As he spanned the valley, he came across a very large heat signature. He assumed it was a group of Taliban fighters huddled together around a light high up in the mountains. All of a sudden, the heat signature stood up as one being, the soldier recalled. The trees in that area grew up to around 10 to 12 feet tall, and this thing was at least as tall, if not taller than the trees that surrounded it. The giant stride was slow and relaxed, yet it moved with incredible speed, the soldier added. Noting the giant's relaxed yet purposeful vibe, It walked parallel to the soldier's position for a time before disappearing along a nearby spur. Stories of the encounter were not shared with with many, the soldier reportedly said, but memories of what he had seen came flooding back after listening to a coast-to-coast dispatch in which he called in. I think that's what I saw, a member of an ancient race of giants that descended from fallen angels, he said. Or it could be something like Sasquatch, I'm really not sure. So that's pretty cool, Uh, the giant of Kunar. There's also an anonymous Air Force op- drone operator who was working in the northern part of Afghanistan during the war. Uh, scanning around, doing my thing, and looking for stuff, he recalled. One day, the drone operator spotted three giants, each standing roughly 12 feet tall. 
There's a ruler tool that tells you how wide your crosshair is. And the people were as tall as the crosshair was wide. What? This was all in mid-wave infrared at night. So they showed up as black humanoid heat signatures. For 10 minutes, the operator observed them, during which time he reported the giants tended their fire and performed other chores, you know, giant stuff. The only interesting <laughs> thing was the size the operator wrote. The goats looked like cats next to them. Jeez. Another airman recalled, recalled doing a pre-op soak northeast of the Korangal Valley where he scanned and analyzed real-time video feeds. According to his elaborate account, the airman watched some dudes around a fire to see if he could identify any weapons. After about 20 minutes, what we thought were two dudes huddled together under a blanket stood up, the airman said. This guy made the rest of the dudes look like children in terms of height. He stood up and walked over to a mud hut that he had to bend over to get in. Weird. Yeah. Um, and finally, an Australian army officer who was on sentry duty in the country's Uruzgan province recalled spotting a giant going for a leisurely stroll around a nearby compound. It was lanky and wore unusual clothing, he said. By lazing the compound, the officer estimated the giant to be about 1,800 meters away. It wasn't in any hurry, and I followed it for about five minutes before it went out of my field of vision. Adding that he suspected the giant to be around 12 feet tall or 14 feet, according to its tender profile. What, <laughs> what does that mean? Are you serious? I don't know what that means. I don't think it's what we think it means. The, the giant uh, apparently had a tender profile? I mean, I guess. Just looked like it was walking. Wasn't in a hurry at all, but was aware of what was happening around it. Kept looking around, especially near the compound. I don't know of anyone else who saw anything like it. Never told anyone about it before, but it has stayed with me for all these years. So I think that, like, I don't know. I, I just, I find that fascinating. And there's been several other people that, that have sort of come out and and made comments. One guy said he was at least 12 to 15 feet in height. Uh, and this is this is another guy that claimed to be part of the, you know, the operators that would come out that had the original conflict with the original Kandahar giant. And he would say he was at least 12 to 15 feet in height with long red hair and beard, six fingers on each hand and foot, double sets of teeth, an awful smell, and wearing some sort of moccasin. Mm. When the creature came out of the cave, he immediately speared and killed one of the soldiers. Then he would say, it was too big, we couldn't move it, the soldier claimed. It smelled worse than a skunk, like a corpse that's been around for a while. Uh, the communication was sent out that we had a very large, possibly human creature. When help came, the giant was then loaded into the aircraft and never seen again. It has been rumored to have been brought to the U.S. and possibly even somewhere in Ohio, which I think that's kind of cool. You know, it, it, it reminds me of the, uh, and of course we haven't done this episode yet, but like the Roswell uh, crash, mm -hmm. you know, it was put on an aircraft in New Mexico and then sent to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. A couple other folks have, you know, also commented on it. Uh, a guy said, I lived in Kabul for from 2005 to 2013. It was the best time of my life, but never forgot how paranormal and weird Afghanistan can get. It truly is a graveyard. It makes you wonder how often stuff like this actually does occur and people just aren't allowed to talk about it and is made top secret as well. This is seriously no joke. Not only are the legends of the Nephilim present in the Middle East, but they were also here in the USA. The same features of having red hair and six digits on each hand and toe 
are discussed from the story of the Anasazi, the Navajo language for enemy ancestor. The Anasazi were known to possess powers no human should have, extended knowledge of mathematics and infrastructure. Their hieroglyphs depict events of portals as found all around the world as well, and giant beings coming out from them. Old indigenous prophecy, which has survived in pieces up to today, uh, they run parallel with biblical stories that are mentioned in Enoch and Genesis. So I did time overseas in the army. I never personally saw a giant, but the locals around our base were 100% convinced that they were in the caves, that they were actually terrified about it. They would never go out at night. A lot of things in this video is the same story I was hearing from the locals. Bad smell, 10 to 13 feet tall and extremely agile with red hair. So I think that's pretty cool, man. Like, yeah, I mean, this kind of seems like it would be one of those things where, you know, if you spend five minutes Googling it or, or researching it online or whatever, you're going to get a mix split down the middle of, oh, man, this seems pretty cool and, you know, legit. Mm -hmm. And then the other half is going to be like, absolutely not. Yeah, right. This kind of stuff. Right. Which, ahead, you know, I, I I get it. You know, it's, it is kind of hard to... um you know, to try to prove one way or the other when there's everything is sort of based on um, like hearsay, kind of. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Legend, I, I mean, it's funny because that that's the the element of this that's kind of the most damning, but then also kind of the most believable at the same mm -hmm. time. Like because it is tied in with you know specifically U.S. military. Like I come from a, a military family, and but at the same time, I'm very very aware that there's so much stuff that's sort of, you know, kept under lock and key that nobody will ever find out about. Yeah. And then, you know, the quote unquote, like real story for a lot of these, these things that have happened, yeah. uh, you know, it'll, it, we're told one thing and in reality, you know, something else clearly happened, sure. you know. Well, and then another argument that I'm sure people have is like, well, you know, why isn't there any, how's there not like a photograph of, of, from that day, mm -hmm. dude, 2002, like if I go back, it's, it's laughable when I go back and look at like pictures from oh, yeah. that time period, mm -hmm. the crappy, like disposable cameras and stuff. I mean, you just, I don't know. You just didn't have that kind of equipment no, all the time mm -hmm. with you, especially if you're like on a patrol and you're trying to like find some missing soldiers or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know, you've got survival gear and your weapons and uh, you're not trying to take, uh, you know, because if you, if you, if you think about it, most of the pictures that you see, my friends included of that time period when they were in the military, it's like they're on base. Mm -hmm. They're maybe in front of the Humvee or something, but they're not like, hey, check this out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think too, you know, and like I said before, like there's a lot of videos. Uh, I mean, I say a lot, not really, actually. There's several videos that it's just hard to kind of, it's hard for me at least to sort of land on one side or the other. It's like, you know, you clearly have videos that are just like completely unbelievable, you know, and I'm someone who like wants to believe. And mm -hmm. so when I see certain things, it's like, okay, you know, I'm a graphic designer, an artist, so. I feel like I have a decent eye and like when there's like any tinge of like, ah, this is CGI. Mm -hmm. I just, I move on. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the other ones that are, you know, still that I'm kind of a little unsure of are videos that 
look like they were probably taken around that period, like like you were just talking about. Mm. And the tough thing is, is because the resolution is so low, you know, it's just like a speck in the distance mm-hmm. or yeah. like a, a silhouette, like way off or like a, a night vision, like infrared, like helicopter view. And it's just hard to like, it's hard to sort of get a, like a scale of what you're looking at, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like you could take a night vision, you know, thermal image of me walking across a desert and you could say, look, it's a giant because there's nothing. Well, well, no, no, no. I'm saying if it were just me, there's nothing around that's going to give it like a sense of scale to show how high I am. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, So when we get back, let's get a little bit back into the Nephilim and how this giant of Kandahar could possibly be the same giants that we read about in the Bible. Hmm. We'll return after these messages. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. vampire. You think you really know what's happening around here, don't you? Fighters for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, this is Woody. And this is Tyler. And you're listening to That Would Be Rad. And now, back to our show. Now, one thing I will say, well, it's just like it's, it's a, this is one of those legends or stories that it's just interesting to me to me, man, like how like upset people get um, mm-hmm. <laughs> when you like read stuff on like, there's no way this could be true. F you. And it's like, yeah, dude, you're like, okay, bro. And yeah. then like, relax, man. Yeah. Even that's, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that people take the, t- think about the, the fact that someone has to take time out of their day. Right. To just be negative. Well, the funny towards thing. Towards somebody else, man. The funny know. thing is, is like, because this is sort of based on, you know, the, the Kandahar giant, because it's based in like, in, you know, the U.S. military and, you know, slash like U.S. government and stuff. It's so funny how, you know, like some of the 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 little blurbs that I was reading where, you know, somebody would, would come out and say, well, you, you know, I heard about this when I served over there and all this stuff. You know, and then you have these people who just come from this like, like, this place of like pure, like black and white absolution where they're like, there's no way that this could have happened because we would have heard a press release. And it's like, yeah, what are you? you not in the early 2000s, we wouldn't have. Not even that, but even now, it's like, mm-hmm. w- like, why do we think like WikiLeaks was so important? Why do we mm-hmm. think, because none of that stuff would have ever gotten out, you yeah. know? And so mm-hmm. I just find it interesting that people are like so... Well, dude, we live in this such a weird time where Ann and I talked about this one time, and I think maybe you and I have before, heck, we might have even talked about it on the show. Here's something that I 100% believe. The second coming will happen, and no one's going to believe that it's real. Right. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. everyone's going to be like, well, I think it's a, a hologram. And And by the way, <laughs> I mean, think about it, dude. I don't even want to say that on air. I'm gonna not say that. But what it would? I'm just gonna say like, if you were, I'm gonna cut this out. 
This portion of the show has been removed by Tyler and Woody. However, it's included in the next bonus episode on the Patreon. Visit www.patreon.com slash that would be read for exclusive access to this and other bonus content. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, so you were asking before like some of the more like biblical stuff yeah, and how yeah. like the Nephilim, you know, ties into this. So who are the Nephilim? Yeah. The Nephilim kind of, it sort of lies in these ancient accounts of the Nephilim and their offspring. Conclusions about the nature of the Nephilim as borne out by quotes from the book of Enoch, as well as the books of Jude and Revelation, which is in the Bible, present a remarkable picture, as do the actual mentions in the original Old Testament of the Nephilim, the Anakim, the Anunnaki, the Raphaim, and the Rapha, along with others descended from Nephilim forebears. In fact, the traditional Hebrew view is that the Rapha, meaning interchangeably dead slash evil spirits slash demons, and giants are the spirits of the half-angelic Nephilim offspring that were killed in the great cataclysm we remember as the flood. This is not a tall tale, but a truth of which Jesus himself and his disciples were well aware of. This is why they quoted from the book of Enoch. The story can also be found in the books of Jasher, Jubilees, and the recently found Dead Sea Scroll, the book of giants. Angels have bodies that can take a variety of forms as well as you know, even Satan, it says, can can appear as an angel of light. There are two angelic rebellions believed, the first being the Luciferian rebellion that most of us are familiar with. This is the source of what Paul calls in the sixth chapter of Ephesians, spirit wickedness in high places. This is why Jesus calls Satan the prince of the powers of the air. So uh, real quick, for listeners that might not be extremely yeah, familiar with the, the Christian tradition and stuff, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about this, like, initial rebellion. If, if there's context, really, I just want to make sure that people understand. Yeah, right. but basically you have, uh, you know, G or uh, Lucifer was, you know, now we, the devil, Satan, whatever. Uh, Lucifer was a, a very high-ranking angel. Mm -hmm. uh, they said that he was just, you know, you know, pure beauty, uh, you know, an angel of light. It said that, like, when he would walk, which this is kind of fascinating, when he would walk, his body was made to like make music. So it would sound, it would like make the sounds of like brass instruments and like drums and like reed pipes and stuff. Just whenever he would walk, he was, he was really powerful. So, you know, just a, a very concise, dumbed down version is he became prideful. And I, from how I kind of see it, he wanted not necessarily wanted to be God, you know, the creator, but he wanted the, like, sort of the same level of, like, respect and acclaim and, you know, attention as that. And so because of his pride, him and a third of the angels would fall, would fall out of heaven, basically. Mm. Which, and there's a lot there that can kind of go in different places. But when we're looking at the Nephilim, what we're talking about is basically, you know, it, it's all sort of based out of the Bible, the books of Enoch and, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls and all this stuff like we're talking about. The word Nephilim means those who came or those who fell down. Hmm. They were basically, and I think the book of Enoch, I'm, I'm kind of doing a lot of this just off the top of my head, but I think it was in the book of Enoch where it talks about, you know, in the beginning there were, 
300 of these these characters called watchers and the translation is really different in multiple places you know it talks about these 300 watchers some say they're angels some say they're you know sort of minor gods but basically they chose to come down and they would take human wives uh, well it says the sons of god would take human wives for themselves uh, as many as they wanted and then their children were the nephilim of old which are basically the giants uh, and they were called i mean it says they were giants in those days men of old men of renown and so the you know these 300 like watchers are what i think this is the second fall that they're talking about this is the second like rebellion or whatever where these 300 watchers they come down and they start sort of co-mingling with human women having you know their offspring are basically giants and you know then then basically god had to cleanse the earth because the all the bloodlines were like intermixed and it was just it was chaos everywhere and one thing that's really interesting about this is this idea you know and i i, I mean i don't think any of us can know for sure but i do like this idea that like the epic of gilgamesh which is like our oldest written story right yeah in all of history you know he was 14 feet tall and it talks about how he there's like a line in there where it talks about how he came from heaven or he appeared or something and i like the idea that you have these like demigods and like you know greek mythology you know zeus and like hercules was was half human mm -hmm. half god i like the idea that these these sort of offspring of angels or watchers uh, mm -hmm. and humans were these kind of giants. And then part of the reason that it was so bad is they, you know, of course, because they're giants, you know, they would pretty much enslave anybody else around them. So they would mm -hmm. sort of elevate themselves as deities. Right. Uh, and so the idea that that has kind of carried over all across the earth, you know, and so you look at these figures, you look at Gilgamesh, you look at the like the greek pantheon just the idea that maybe those like quote unquote gods like little g gods maybe those were the same thing as as the nephilim you know yeah i think that's really cool and so it was such a far-reaching thing and there were so many and and it was said that they were sort of enslaving like all these different you know places far and wide that the earth had to be cleansed and that's why we have noah and the ark which makes you know and this is going to be well, I mean, this is going to show sort of my, well, how limited my adult knowledge of the Bible is in comparison to when I was younger and stuff, you mm -hmm. know, and I really kind of paid attention <laughs> a lot more and, and kind of immersed myself in those stories. Like, I, I don't, these concepts of, of there being a second rebellion and the, the Nephilim being uh, sort of uh, referred to as like sons of God and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think... You know, it, it's well. It's, it's one it's, of those. It says the sons of God came to take wives from as the daughters of Adam, which means right. These so it's almost like divine. You imagine, imagine this, and it's kind of difficult. Again, we're treading. Potentially, I'm I'm going to tread on some ground here. That if you are, you know, a stout um, 
believe it or something, it could be interpreted as me being sort of insensitive or um, what's a better word for that? Like uh, blasphemous, I guess. And so I'm just kind of saying this, huh? Heretical. Heretical. I'm just saying this ahead of time, just as like a preemptive sort of like, that's not my intention. It's just interesting to me. Mm-hmm. What I'm what I'm saying is, here's what's interesting, that to think about like just the earth and humanity and stuff as as kind of like less a solid sort of black and white sort of plan of action. Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 throw in our own uh, human behavior into the mix and stuff, and I think we somehow still kind of like maybe that there was a solid plan in place. And then we just, human nature sort of got involved because of our like free will and all this kind of stuff. We kind of just messed it up and mm-hmm. just like, come on, man, here we go. You know, yeah. but it, it seems it's more of like an experiment really. Yeah. You know, like with all these like, well, now we've got Adam and Eve and then, well, hey, okay, you guys, um, you know, I'll let you stay down there too. And then all of a sudden, uh-oh, they're intermingling and then now there's a bunch of evil and we got to you know, cleanse the earth and stuff, it starts to get pretty heavy. Um, well, one of the things that, you know, and I don't know, I'm, that there's many other folks that are, have so much more knowledge on this kind of stuff. But I will say, and it's something that I've always kind of struggled with. It's the idea that like, okay, there's a God, or, you know, your creator God is all-knowing, omnipotent, you know, omniscient, like knows everything, knows knows the beginning you know, he is the alpha and the omega. He knows everything. And so why would he not have, like, known that this was going to happen, you know, before, like, the rewrite? But I think, and I'm not saying this is why, but I do like the idea that in the Book of Enoch, the, uh, I think it's the first Book of Enoch, it talks about, you know, it talks about in the beginning there were these 300 watchers who were above the earth. And so I think the idea was that like basically they were kind of there to look out for us and sort of watch over the leaders of these different areas of the planet. And so they rebelled and then they came down. And so I don't know, I I feel like maybe there's something in that Mm -hmm. that, that sort of allowed this plan to like get through because it wasn't really us. It was from these like other divine, yeah. you know, divine beings, angels, whatever, whatever class they fall would really fall into, and that's the other thing that's a little confusing is like in different translations, these watchers, you know, like I said before, it's like are they angels? Are they, you know, sort of others, kind of like deities? Like what are they? And so yeah. that's the second fall that they're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So like they they're kind of fallen angels that have decided. Yeah, they're, they're rebellion wise to go and just like get it on with all these hot human ladies. Yeah, kind on of on earth. Uh, yeah. Uh which is interesting because there is but not too unlikely if it was me up there. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I mean I do think that it's it's interesting because like there is a verse and of course I cannot there's no why, why you're looking, listen, why you're looking that up, I, I got to, can I just read something that I just read? Yeah, what'd you find? Some believe the fallen angels who begat the Nephilim were cast into Tartarus. 
Yeah. Second uh, Peter two four, Jude one six, Greek Enoch twenty, uh, verse two, and it says a place of total darkness. Mm. Now listen to this, dude. This is I, I mean full body chills here. An interpretation is that God granted ten percent, and our buddy Tim is going to love this. 10% of the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim yep. to remain on earth after the flood mm-hmm. as demons to try to lead the human race astray until the final judgment. Hmm. Weird, man. Yeah. Like the whole dis- when I read just happened, I just, my eyes went straight to the word disembodied and I was like, oh man. Yeah. Are the Nephilim also these disembodied voices that we hear? Yeah. That have been around since the flood. They know how to lure us in. I mean, God, does everything come back? Everything comes back to disembodied <laughs> voices, man. And also, I mean, now I'm thinking of like, we got 300 watchers. I mean, are we like, are we aliens, bro? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you never know. <sighs> you really never know. I, I think that, uh, so, yeah. So one of the things about these watchers is, um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. So there's a place in the Bible, of course, I can't think of where it's at, but there's a line that I've never really understood where it talks about how during like like when you're sort of like praising or like worshiping, you know, sort of like dancing to sort of like praise God or whatever, mm-hmm. it talks about like how the women should always be like covered up mm-hmm. and I've never really understood that. And it, and so then it goes on to say they should be covered up for the sake of the angels. Mm. And it's weird because like if you it doesn't really make sense if you're thinking of it in the sort of traditional sense modern that like, day. That like all angels are good. And Well, also it doesn't make sense to us in you know modern day church, but like we got to like remind ourselves here Christianity originated in the same area that like the Muslim tradition is mm-hmm. currently, right? And so like even just uh, traditional clothing wise, it kind of makes sense, you know, keep those women covered up so those angels don't see them. It doesn't tempt the angels. It yes. Well, that, you know what I'm saying? And so that's what I'm saying. I think, I think that's what it's talking about. I, mm-hmm. I never really thought about that until kind of getting into this research this morning that wow, that sort of makes sense. It's not mm. referring to these like, oh, they're all good angels, but yeah. these possible like sort of watcher angels. But So basically they also would come down and, you know, in their rebellion, in their sort of co-mingling with the daughters of Adam, you know, earth women, they also introduced, and a lot of this is like in the Apocrypha too, it says that they, you know, they they sinned against the Nephilim and their children sinned against all flesh, creating hybrid creatures which were part human, part beast, part fowl. The three hundred wa- fallen watchers, their original job was was sort of to protect humanity, uh, but they were actually like utterly depraved once they kind of got caught up in living down here, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, it says they also taught mankind the arts of witchcraft, sorcery drug abuse and war you know and so after years and years the human race was tainted kind of beyond recovery and so one of the other interesting things about it is when you read about Noah and his family it says that it wasn't just a thing about like his character in Genesis it talks about how 
unlike the rest of humanity, Noah was found perfect in all his generations. He and his family were untainted, which I I think that means it's like untainted by this other fallen angel sort of bloodline, you know, which was, you know, cursed to, you know, damnation. Mm. And a lot of people think that, and I think this is like a, um, there's a guy named Gary Wayne who really gets into the Nephilim also. and he, Never trust a guy with two first names. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, no, he's he's an extremely intelligent guy. But his thought is that when when the flood happens, or, when, you know, all of these, the offspring, the Nephilim, they, not all of them were necessarily destroyed, but they were, their spirits or whatever were still confined to the earth. So it's this idea that, you know, when we think of like demons and like possession and oppression, when the earth was flooded, their spirits are still confined to this prison earth. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we view as now as like demons. And that's why they have to possess human bodies because they don't have bodies anymore. Yeah. Which is pretty fascinating, really. Yeah. You know? Well, you know, and man... This just goes into a bunch of stuff that I just, I'm so curious about. Like, um, I just lost my train of thought though. So, oh boy, keep going, I guess. <laughs> oh, oh, that's what I was going to say. When they, when they, when they talk about things like in like Noah's Ark, for example, mm-hmm. you know, they talk about that. A lot of places have used that as, uh, well, there's certain like sort of stories and themes that, that they have some parallels in previous mythology from those areas, Greek or, um, you know, that sort of Mesopotamia type area. Mm-hmm. And one of them is like the Noah thing. There's a, you, you said something about Gilgamesh earlier. There's a huge great flood in that. And so oh, sometimes yeah. even just growing up, I always wondered too, this is, you know, we talk about pre-internet mysteries. This is pre-light bulb mystery. I mean, this is yeah. pre-everything, right? Yeah. When somebody was writing something down back then mm-hmm. and they said the world, right? Did they know just how big the world was? In no, other words, I don't did so. the flood truly encompass the entire earth? Or when they wrote that, did it basically flood their quote unquote world? I know that's kind of hard to follow. Well, I, I think the thing that's actually doesn't go against what you just said, but I think the thing that adds to it is that there are these these like you know uh, diluvian eras in almost every place, mm-hmm. like every sort of like belief system, not necessarily like religious belief system, but sort of historical belief system mm-hmm. in like so many Mythology. areas. Like they all have this sort of flood, mm-hmm. you know, you know, quote unquote myth, which I've always thought was was really it's cool. It's super cool, and I've always wondered, you know, like. We will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense broad line. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures. From another dimension, another world, I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. This is Joshua Cutchen, and you're at my home for weirdness. That would be rad.
hate to use words like primitive or whatever, but like canceled ancient. No, I just mean like ancient <laughs> humans, mm-hmm. right? Part of the reason why I think they worshipped things like the sun and the moon and the and the flow of water and stuff were they're, they're these huge uh, natural phenomenon that are almost unexplainable to someone that hasn't had any sort of education about them, right? And so I often wondered when I was growing up, you know, reading about these things, to me it makes it, like, I think sometimes this can be interpreted as like, well, that sounds kind of atheist. And that, to me, the opposite is true for me, actually, to think that, like, someone writing this truly believed, like, man, no, this flood destroyed everything that I know of, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, maybe not the entire the other side of the world. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's just it's just interesting to me because maybe, in other words, all that to say Noah's flood might not have been the first time that this experiment went awry. And, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think, I you know, and this is kind of bringing it back into our neck of the woods, but, you know, like I said before, when it when it talks about in the books of Enoch, it talks about, you know, these fallen angels coming down and, and teaching humans how to like basically cross pollinate or create these sort of chimera or hybrids of like animals and humans. To me, that's, I mean, if you're looking and it's funny because everything that I'm saying, I I have like this twinge of like, you know, am I being heretical by saying this? Yeah. Because I grew up in a tiny little Baptist church and, you know, on blue Creek. But my adult sort of, you know, version of me that that is a host on this podcast, I think that's fascinating because to me, therein lies like, okay, well, whatever these these practices are or this sort of like angel like technology or or you know the things that they that they taught humanity, like does this is this like sort of describing cryptids is this describing you know why we have a mothman why we have mm-hmm. uh you know these like things that sort of live within the purview outside of like just a regular you know human mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think that's pretty fascinating yeah, you know for sure man the nephilim and the potential ties that it has almost as like a race of people mm-hmm. that over time has certainly i'm sure been diluted you know i guess if there's a giant that exists in Kanahar, how did it survive the flood? My only thought kind of goes back to well, well, now it. So even in the Bible, it does talk about how, and again, I don't know how this works, but it does talk about how, like, um, you know, you talk about like the Canaanites mm-hmm. and how like this guy was, you know, within the um, the lineage of this guy. So it kind of. Mm-hmm. There's like several places in the Bible and all the other, you know, Dead Sea Scrolls, Book of Enoch, where it does make reference that like these sort of lineages are not totally gone as far as these like connections that link back to these like giants and these. I just imagine like one of these, one of these giants basically doing the thing where he's like on his knees, but he like ties the shoe Mm -hmm. to his knees and they're just kind of like walking up the plank up the Noah's Ark, and they're like, "Whoa, oh, oh, whoops! Wait a minute, sir!" And he's like, "Huh? 
everything's fine. For uh-huh. good. For no, good. He's like so awkward. He's like, oh, okay. <clears throat> Just barely making it up this ramp. Just barely made it. No, I don't know. I mean, I, I also wonder, you know, is it, I guess like the theory that I brought up with Gary Wayne, like, you know, yes, th- they were wiped out, but it's like, you know, are they like possessing these other people? And then that's somehow mm-hmm. how the bloodline like continues. It gets real confusing. Yeah. Um, it gets a little bit intense. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take a left turn here. <laughs> okay. Um, because one of the things the giant of Kandahar sort of brought up uh, in my thinking was, well, wait a minute, that's not the first time I've heard of of these sort of attributes. And I know that this is technically illegal in, you know, Camp Rad Strange's International, but I got to take it back to America just for a little bit. Okay. Um, so if you're looking at multiple Native American tribes, you know, a lot of these tribes, and I'm talking like a lot of these tribes, all talk about these, you know, races of giants or these other tribes that were, that consisted of giants. We talk about like uh, the Choctaw. Horatio Bardwell Cushman wrote in his 1899 book, History of the Choctaw, Chickasaw, and Natchez Indians, he was he told of a race of giants that once inhabited the now state of Tennessee and with whom their ancestors fought when they arrived in Mississippi in their migration from the West. Their tradition states the Nahulo, which were a race of giants, was of wonderful stature. Cushman said Nahulo came to be used to describe all white people, but it originally referred specifically to a giant white race with red hair, whom the Choctaw came into contact when they first crossed the Mississippi River. The Nahulo were said to be cannibals, whom the Choctaw killed whenever the opportunity arose. Man. Uh, Chief Rolling Thunder of the Comanche tribe, which existed in the Great Plains, gave the following account of an ancient race of white giants in 1857. Innumerable moons ago, a race of white men, red hair, 10 feet high, and far more rich and powerful than any white people now living, here inhabited a large range of the country, extending from the rising to the setting sun. Their fortifications crowned the summits of the mountains protecting their populous cities uh, situated in the intervening valleys. They excelled every other nation which was flourished, either before or since in all manner of cunning handicraft, were brave and warlike, ruling over the land they had wrestled from its ancient possessors with a high and haughty hand. Compared with them, the pale faces of the present day were pygmies in both art and arms. The chief explained that when this race forgot justice and mercy and became too proud, the great spirit wiped it all, and all that was left of their society were the mounds still visible on the tablelands. Mm. You know what I mean? It's like... yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yates also writes uh, of the Starmake people of Navajo legend, describing them as a regal race of white giants endowed with mining technology who dominated the West, enslaved lesser tribes, and had strongholds all throughout the Americas. They were either extinguished or went back to the heavens. So one of the things about all these, 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 you know, these giants were... They all had this like advanced technology. They all, you know, similar to those Nephilim that came down and taught all the people witchcraft, 
sorcery, mm -hmm. mathematics, and, you know, engineering, basically, it sounds a lot like the same thing. In 15, Except for the Kandahar guy who just has a spear. Yeah, I mean, he did have, I mean, it was like almost a 20-foot spear, though, so still pretty powerful. So he's good at carving. Yeah. Uh, in 1553, Pedro Cieza de Leon wrote in the Chronicle of Peru about legendary giants described to him by the Manta indigenous people. There are, however, reports concerning giants in Peru who landed on the coast at the point of Santa Elena. The natives relate the following tradition, which had been received from their ancestors from very remote times. There arrived on the coast in boats made of reeds as big as large ships, a party of men of such size that from the knee downward, their height was as great as the entire height of an ordinary man. Though he might be of good stature, their limbs were all in proportion to the deformed size of their bodies. And it was a monstrous thing to see their heads with hair reaching to their shoulders, red, and their eyes were as large as small plates. Uh, it says Leon said that the sexual habits of the giants were revolting to the natives and heaven eventually wiped out those giants because of those habits. Man. Pretty amazing. Mm. This is a story, this last one is so fascinating to me, and I'd heard of this before. I, I, I'd forgotten, like, what it was actually called. And so during this research, I'm so glad I ran across it because I want to do a full episode on this. But it talks about, like, the Paiute Indians. Mm -hmm. The Paiutes are said to have an oral tradition that told of red-haired, white cannibals about 10 feet tall who lived in or near what is now known as Lovelock Cave in Nevada. It is unclear whether this oral tradition about the so-called Sitaka Giants existed or if it was an exaggeration or distortion of their legends made after the Paiutes were mostly killed or dispersed in 1833 by an expedition by explorer Joseph Walker. I think that's pretty cool because once you start looking into the Paiutes and the mystery of Lovelock Cave, again, I want to do a full episode on this, but again, it talks about these, these giants. Now, these weren't, you know, 14, 15 footers, but it does talk about them having this existence which disappeared. So in 1886, a mining engineer named John T. Reed happened to hear a legend from a group of Paiutes while prospecting near Lovelock, Nevada. The Indians told him the legend was real and that the cave was located nearby. When he saw the cave himself, he knew he was on to something. And it goes on to kind of say that he, you know, they would find tons of like, like bat guano, which I guess could be somehow used for, for gunpowder or something. Mm -hmm. um, and so they excavated like 250 tons of this, but that led to an official excavation that was performed in 1912 by the v University of California and, you know, what would eventually become, you guessed it, the Smithsonian, uh, <laughs> which that one was taken, took place in 1924. And it told reports about thousands of artifacts being recovered that were extremely unusual. It talks about skeletons that were the smallest being eight feet to 12 feet in height. A lot of them were like mummified. And those, that's what, you know, they're referred to as the Lovelock Giants. There was a sandal found uh, that was 15 inches long. And then this is really cool. There was a, there's like a, what looks to be a handprint 
on a rock that you guessed it has six fingers man so like there's all these like these it, i just feel like there's so much of our history that's just been like either destroyed or hidden or i mean it's crazy too is that now that i'm so into like the and i know i've referenced this a hundred times on here but like the tartaria stuff and like the world's fair stuff and like it really does line up with with all of this sort of prehistory kind of being, you know, hidden or locked mm -hmm. away. And it, it is kind of interesting if you're looking at this from the per perspective of like all of this, you know, we think of it as like, oh, it was like the, you know, 16, 17, 1800s uh, where all these giant, these remains of like giants and bones were all hidden by the Smithsonian and these other sort of organizations, if you will. But I've never really understood like, well, what is the point of hiding these things? You yeah, know? that's what I was about to say. Like I've all of those things, the Tartaria, mm -hmm. the World's Fair stuff, the Smithsonian swooping in, or even just to hide them in, in at all. Is it like, is it uh, because everything's just so terrifying that we can't know that there's giants? No. I don't, or like, I, what, what's the point? I'm wondering if if you're looking at these sort of, you know, and I'm looking at like 17, 1800s as like, you know, the modern age. But I feel like if all of these, because, you know, like, like what I read before, like all of these tribes talk about, oh, there's all these races of giants. Mm -hmm. You know, they have these huge, fully you know, advanced civilizations from as far as the East is to the West. And so, again, I know we haven't discussed Tartaria at all, but sort of the thought is like that there was this other civilization before that was kind of buried or destroyed or burned down or whatever. What if they're literally talking about like, because one of the things with Tartaria too is like a lot of these, the architecture, you know, which is looked at as what we consider like quote unquote like Roman architecture. You know, it's very elaborate, beautiful, you know, sort of Art Nouveau kind of look, a lot of craftsmanship, a lot of detail uh, and sort of artistry. But a lot of these things have these, you know, doors that are 18 feet tall. And like, there's a lot of weird stuff if you're looking at it through the lens of like, well, maybe the giants were still around even at mm. the beginning of that sort of modern age of the 16, mm -hmm. 17, 1800s, you know? Mm -hmm. I think that's really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, man. I mean, one of the things that makes it pretty realistic, I mean, if there were giants like that that existed on Earth, of course, at some point, someone's be like, yep, he's in the army. Come on, pal. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. the whole David and Goliath thing. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like, of course... He's going to be like the guy. They're like, ah, who cares? Yeah. Getting Goliath out here, you know? Yeah. One thing that I learned in this too that I hadn't had a chance to mention was that like I had no idea that Goliath also had a brother. Mm -hmm. And his brother and I think a couple other folks that were like uh, of that sort of race of, of large people got killed by David and his men. Mm -hmm. Didn't know it. Well, and it, it also talks about how um think – this is right, but if not, I'm sorry. Uh, I think it was a king named Og, maybe. And again, I could be getting this wrong. 
But it was said that, and this was like, I think even like discovered, it said that his bed frame was something that, you know, many scholars believe like when sort of translated into modern terms would have been like 18 feet long hmm. and something like 10 feet wide or something crazy. And so it's like, what? What was the point of that? Like, why would... Well, he might have had a wife that didn't want to snuggle. And let me tell you something. <laughs> 18 It didn't matter. Feet? If my bed was a 1,000 feet wide, mm -hmm. I would still have the... It doesn't matter if I've had a twin bed, a double bed, a queen bed, or a king. I still have the same amount of room that I'm allowed to be on in the bed. You understand what I'm saying to yeah. you? I get like the edge. Oh, yeah. I kind of get that too. Yeah. And so this poor king was probably like, well, maybe if I get like an 18-footer, I can just finally have enough room. Nope, sorry, pal. <laughs> now, for those of you interested, real quick, if you're like, well, I mean, do they, like, there's something like that that says, I've got two scriptures here for you to look up if, if, uh, if you're thumbing through uh, after Sunday school when you hear this episode on Monday. Mm -hmm. Second book of Samuel 21, verse 18 through 22, and it talks about, basically it says, uh, Elhanan, son of... Jair, I guess, kills Goliath's brother who had a spear with a shaft like a weaver's rod. Mm -hmm. In another battle, which took place in, I think, uh, Gath, mm -hmm. there was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on yep. each foot, 24 in all. Yep. That was the descended from Rafa, who you mentioned earlier. Yep, the fallen um, ones, yeah. Or the dead, so the dead ones. That's, uh, that's pretty cool if you want to put your eyes on that listener yeah. and see it for yourself. Because I'm one of those people, too, when they say, well, this is mentioned in the Bible, I'm like, what? Yeah. And so I have to like put my eyes on it. I can't look it up online. Yeah, I could be doctored. I got to I gotta get the book in my hand mm -hmm. and see it for myself. And I saw it. So there you go. Yeah. There, there's also, coming back to the Americas here, there's also a place, um, I think it's Massachusetts. It's one of like the, the oldest monuments to American soldiers. It's called the Nine Men's Misery Monument. Um, yeah, it, it's apparently these people, the, these men, these nine men were, they were, you know, basically ambushed by, you know, whatever the local tribe was and they were all, you know, killed and it was really bad. I think it was the, the Wampanoag tribe. Mm. Oh, here it is. Uh, yeah. It's in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, New England area. Here we go. A group of nine soldiers escaped the original Indian ambush, but were separately later captured, tortured, and killed. They were found a day later by a military burial mission and buried on the spot where they were found. Because of the gruesome nature of the, the torture indicated by the state of the bodies, the site became known locally as Nine Men's Misery. According to some research, the bodies were immediately buried because it was so gruesome, like on the spot, you know, where the Yikes. mound was. They were yeah. dug back up and removed in 1928, in which they sat in a uh, the Rhode Island Historical Society of Providence. They just like sat in crates um, <laughs> cool. in, until 1976, which that's a long time. And so th then they were like reinterred back in back into you know the ground in Cumberland. I don't know what that means, but I guess the myth is is that one of those guys that was buried in there was named Benjamin Bucklin, and he was known to not only be a giant, but to also have six fingers on each hand, six toes, 
and also having two rows of teeth. Yeah. And and this is this is all coming up to 1676 that this sort of myth has, you know, it's it's like one of those things that, and we say this a lot like on the show, but I feel like there's these like little bits of high strangeness in stories that like how would any of these people had any sort of knowledge or forethought to like, if this was just a made up hoax or like a story, how -hmm. would these people come up with that? Like who's just going to come up and say, Oh, well he had two rows of teeth uh, and (laughs) you know, six fingers and toe. It's like, it's just yeah. so bizarre, and it just doesn't. It's so abstract to me, you know. It's wild, but it is weird because so that's 1676. We're almost into the 1700s, but then any anything that you look at in the history books, you know, you, we never see any of this stuff. All we know is that the tallest man ever recorded was Robert Wadlow, who was eight foot eleven inches, which again, that's massive. But he would die at the age of 22 in 1940. So like. It's like there's so much of this other stuff that we we were just never given the opportunity to know that's only kind of lived on through, you know, outside of like the the official historic record. You know what I mean? Man. One thing that I did find out, and this is what I, I'm kind of wanting to end on. I don't know how much truth is in this, but I ran across this three separate times when doing this research into a lot of the tribes and stuff. But one of the reason it's believed, and again, this could be totally false, but one of the reasons a lot of people believe that, you know, when the when the natives would come up and they would hold up their hand to as a greeting, yeah, they were literally showing that they only had oh. five fingers. And then they said, "My name is Inigo Montoya." <laughs> oh man, I thought you, you killed were my say, father. Prepare to die. I thought you were gonna gonna say uh, Krakatoa. No, no. But yeah, I think that's really cool. And that's, yeah. who knows how much truth is in that. But I, just, I do think that's pretty interesting. I think, dude, I think there's a book in there. I think there's definitely a book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, definitely the idea that like all all these tribes all talked about these these race of giants that they were warring with, with six fingers, six toes, red hair, you know, and then that idea that like, you know, when we think in the modern era of like, okay, if I was going to, you know, pretend to be like, like what mannerisms would I do if I were like playing charades and I was asked to to be an Indian? I would hold up my hand, you know, it's like, and so the idea that that actually comes from something like that is just, I don't know. It's yeah. fascinating. It's cool. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, dude, you got anything else you gotta you want to say? No, man. I've uh, I've always wanted to know more about that, and I feel like we probably only scratched the oh, surface yeah. into like the biblical side of things too. So it's super super interesting. I I love being able to explore those those texts, and then also just in case people were wondering, I also kind of saw that it's not just the Bible that mentions these uh, giants, but mm-hmm. also the Quran does as well. Oh, yeah. Yep. So, you know, anytime there's that sort of cross-reference amongst two mm-hmm. religions that, you know, I don't think it, I'm going out of bounds here and saying that they don't really like necessarily see eye to eye on a lot of things, mm-hmm. it's interesting. So, you know, in, in Judo-Christian culture, but also Muslim, they talk about these giants and and even as potential descendants of, uh, of the fallen. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. I, I mean, yeah. it just made like I'm, I'm, I've been writing notes this whole time of things that I want to like read when I finally get through one piece. 
<laughs> that, that'll be like <laughs> 10 years from now. But And I got a couple Star Wars books that Clay sent me. Yeah. I've got, uh, there's a Ray Bradbury Martian Chronicles that I want to read. I, wow, you know, cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, I mean, I partially knew that I wanted to like kind of get into the Nephilim stuff because I feel like, I feel like. You the, have to, you know. Yeah, I mean, and I also feel like the Kandahar Giant is, you know, it's, it fits just right in that, like, you know, like in the location that it was in, you know, it mm-hmm. ties into, you know, the biblical stuff. And so I knew that I wanted to get into it, but I still think that, like, we'll probably end up having a proper Nephilim show because it gets real, like, I mean, everything that I said basically is just, a lot of it was just a lot of the, the basics, yeah. sort of random knowledge that I mm-hmm. that I just know about it. And so, like I said, guys like L.A. Marzulli, guys like Gary Wayne, I mean, it gets like super, super dense. And there is like some really cool connections between, uh, and I'm sure I've, I've glossed over and I've missed so many, but there are a lot of like connections of, of the Nephilim and those giants, you know, men of renown that, you know, do, that they do create like really pretty solid through lines that, you know, lead to believe, oh, well, maybe, maybe that is, maybe that does explain Bigfoot, maybe, you know, and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I would actually love to try to get Gary Wayne on because he's, he's, he's one of those guys too, like a Stanton Friedman or a, uh, you know, I mean, you've heard those guys where you literally just say, hi, Gary, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? And then the whole episode is just him talking, just giving you tons and tons of knowledge. But I would love to have him on to have like an official Nephilim episode because I think it could be really cool. Yeah, man. Well, if you would like to contact us, hit us up at Instagram, uh, where the majority of our, you know, presence is on the internet. You know, drop a line in the comments and, uh, you know, shoot us a DM if you have your own story or urban legend that, you know, maybe you think we may not know about or more sort of localized, like small town kind of stuff. That's the stuff that we really, we love that. If it's kind of more long form and you'd like to do more of like a, an essay, if you will, shoot it over to that would be radpod at gmail.com. We have a Patreon for those folks that just are not getting enough. That would be rad content here on the free feed, uh, where it's just, more of what you love. It's a little looser, a little more relaxed, a little later at night that we record and uh, we'd love to have you. There's different tiers for whatever financial situation you're in. And uh, yeah, come join us. It's super fun over there. And we're so grateful and so appreciative to the folks that already are our patrons because it's a very real-time way to show your support Mm -hmm. by, you know, times are tough. And so you know, giving your hard-earned money to us means the world to us. It's it's definitely not lost on us. Buy us a coffee, go get a t-shirt, all that stuff's in our link tree, and uh, go tell a friend about the show. And if you have time, go give us a five-star review. It helps ping that algorithm and uh, just get us in front of more and more new listeners, new ears. And I guess that's about it. What, do you got anything else? Not this time, man. Right on, dude. Well, we love you. We appreciate you. And as always, be red. That's the way it
I mean, what kind of hammock are you looking for? I mean, so we cleared out like our back. Our... Now, do you want one? Hold on. Let me be more specific with my question because already you're getting too long with the story. Do you want one that's like it stands on its own, like a frame? No, no, no. Just oh, like there's a, a hammock road. or one that you can you can take with you whenever you go camping and stuff. Yes. So if you wouldn't have interrupted me, I would have said that it, we cleared out our back yard line, uh, all the underbrush, and... Just kind of looking for like a chair or a hammock that just hangs. Well, I mean, do you have trees to hang in? Like, yeah, we got a bunch of trees. Put it in between? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. No, it's awesome. Back uh, dude, I mean, to be honest with you, now that the, so the main brand that everybody used to get, I, I can't even remember what it's called. It's like, I think it's called Evo or something like EVO. Hmm. You can get them at REI or Academy or whatever. You know, it's they've been out so long now, dude, that you can just get a dadgum copycat off of Amazon for like 15 bucks. Dude. Yeah, that, that's what I would get. That's what I've been that's looking That's what at. one of those companies sent me mm-hmm. whenever I was, you know, more active on YouTube. And, <laughs> it, it, you know, it was great. When you were a professional YouTuber? Yeah, whenever I was like a, my kind of family camping video, <laughs> like just exploded. And uh, I got a lot of money from it and free stuff, which was awesome. That is cool. Okay. Wait, didn't you get a? Is that the thing that connects like a tent to your Jeep? Yeah, the tent. I have like a, I have a yes, like a tent that connects to my Jeep. I've got hammocks, uh, different camping stoves, tons of uh, rope. Oh, like a whole tent. Mm-hmm. You guys need a tent? It's a whole family size. I got all kinds of stuff. That's pretty man. cool, man. I mean, I okay. just need a hammock. You can get it on Amazon. Never heard of it. <laughs> That's yeah, actually. Come just on, let's man. People get your head. Hey, just get your head out of here. Heard of a like bookends? Yeah, I don't yeah, like so that. That's a bookend. Just get your head out of here. It's a callback to the first one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 